Do you ever find yourself having the same conflicts with a friend or a partner again and again and again and again? Well, that's one of the problems that my guests and I discuss solving on this episode 14 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast with me, Anthony Samaroff. Okay, I'm here with Katie Testa. She is a certified NVC trainer and a multidisciplinary coach. And we're going to find out a little bit about her. And what I'm interested in starting off with is tell us a little bit about your journey to coming to teach these things. I know you you do um, nonviolent communication. You help people improve their um, communication and relationships and all these things. I'm interested in how you got into this field. Yeah, so in 2010, a good friend of mine, Wes Bertrand, invited invited me to check out nonviolent communication. And I had never heard of it before. And at the time, I was um, a voluntarist. And, and I investigated NVC and discovered that it was really in alignment already with my philosophical perspective. And that in addition to that, it opened up new avenues for connection um, between me and myself and also connection between me and the other people I was relating to. And I had challenges relating to some people in my life. There was conflict and disconnection and confusion and lack of clarity. And um, pretty quickly after encountering NVC, I saw this was a really helpful tool for enhancing connection and relationships, getting more clarity about what I wanted, how I felt, what I needed, and um, and empowered me to be kind of radically authentic about those things. And, um, yeah, so pretty quickly I started to practice that and learn that, although it was really simple, it was very, very challenging to integrate. And I kind of committed myself to that as I, as I saw it was really helping um, in various ways. And so... Yeah, I, I've been studying for the past almost eight years now, and that slowly evolved into like, oh, I just have to share this with everybody because I saw so much transformation and so many shifts in my life and my relationships that I'm just compelled to share it with people. And uh, right. yeah, I just can't help so, it. So once you started seeing those changes in your life, those positive changes, you felt really passionate to help other people experience the same changes in their lives. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's really what what's driving me now today is that um, I just see this perspective, specifically nonviolent communication. You mentioned some other perspectives I think mm-hmm. are also really helpful. But um, just talking about NVC, which is short for nonviolent communication right now, um, it's just so helpful. And it really cuts underneath all of the cultural layers of stuff that keeps people in roles and thinking about what they should do or what they shouldn't do and um, gets underneath the, the beliefs that we've been indoctr- indoctrinated into and mm. not aware of and enables us to shift out of those things so that we can really connect just heart to heart in an authentic way. And I just can't really think of anything else that could be more useful in the culture that we find ourselves in right now. Um, right, which is uh, <laughs> rife with conflict, let's say, and a lot of judgment as well. Yes. When people have different views from you. You know, they're the bad group. They're the ones that are causing all the problems. Yeah. And we don't necessarily look to the the needs underlying 
their ideologies or behaviours, which I think NVC is nonviolent communication is something that empowers us to try and understand why people are behaving the way they're behaving rather than focus on their behavior alone. Yeah, exactly. So so the kind of core principle of nonviolent communication, the first piece that I like to share with people really is that idea that you just mentioned, and that's that everything we do, everything that you've ever done, everything that you're ever going to do, everything that you're doing right in this moment, and the same goes to me and for every other person, every human being who's ever existed and who will ever exist and who exists right now is all motivated by the same reason. And that is that we're all doing the best we can to meet our needs. And these needs are universal across humanity. We all share the same needs. And those might, those needs might be prioritized in different ways from moment to moment, and we all have different strategies or preferences about how we meet those needs. But differentiating between the way we meet the needs and the needs themselves helps us to really overcome conflict and get to the place where we can connect in, in a universal way. So, yeah. Wonderful. So would you say that your experience of learning NVC and practicing it over seven years has really helped you identify the needs that underlie your own behavior. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, in, in ways that I maybe didn't even want to admit to myself um, or that I, I really just wasn't aware of. So um, that's really what I would call now the practice of self-empathy from a nonviolent communication perspective. And that is really becoming curious about the dialogue that's, you know, passing through my mind and being able to observe that in a compassionate and more objective way and really a more observational way. So just listening to the different voices inside of my head, the different perspectives there, and then becoming curious about what feelings are alive in those perspectives. And deeper than that, what are the needs that are motivating those perspectives? And that's another key of, of nonviolent communication is to, you learn that, your feelings don't come from other people. Nobody can make you feel something. Your feelings are actually inspired by your needs either being fulfilled or unfulfilled. So if you think about how you feel when your needs are really met, you feel good, you feel happy, you feel excited, you feel enthusiastic, you feel vibrant, you feel alive, right? But if your needs aren't met, you might feel depressed or sad or frustrated or angry. So there's this correlation between our feelings and our needs. But in the culture, we get the message that other people make us feel how we feel. And then we try to get these other people to change what they're doing so that we can feel differently. And it's really what um, I think Marshall Rosenberg, who created nonviolent communication, would refer to that as um, emotional slavery. And so a big piece of NBC for me is really about empathic liberation or, or being liberated through the process of self-empathy, recognizing my own feelings and my own needs, and then empathy for the other people I'm relating to, which is seeing them for their feelings and their needs. Hmm. So, <laughs> interesting. So there's also a dual dialogue running around, which is along the lines of, oh, you shouldn't feel that, or, or you shouldn't need that, mm. or you don't really need that. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that come up for me hearing that. One is just, if you think about your childhood or my childhood or anybody who's listening to this, your childhood, each of us 
receive some messages about expressing our feelings or having needs. And it's not, I'm not making anybody wrong here, but it's a part of the culture, right? So when you're in school, did anybody ever really ask you how you were feeling? Like, what time do we go to bed or eat food? And we do this all when other people tell us. So it's disconnected from our, our, experience. And I remember moments in my childhood where I felt really excited and I wanted to jump up and down on the bed and play and express that. And my parents, you know, that didn't work for them in the moment. So I was shamed or punished or reprimanded for that. And I learned subtly that, oh, it's not okay to really be fully happy. Or when I felt sad or angry and I wanted to express that as a child, you know, that's, that's, probably more where we get these messages from our parents is that it's not okay to feel sad. You know, who, who has heard, um, man up, right. you know, like boy, boys don't cry. There's, and there's, you know, there's different cultural messages specifically for men and women. All of us are kind of screwed over by the culture in different ways, but we, we learn that it's not okay to be really authentic or vulnerable and open with how we feel in our relationships because we'll receive judgment, we'll be punished, we'll get disconnection. Yeah. And and the same thing is with needs. So when you think about, you know, a needy person, uh, who, who, do, who wants to relate, relate to a needy person? Mm-hmm. Um, we generally have a judgment about needs and the word needs. And so Marshall Rosenberg actually, I think at some point, used other words such as values. Mm-hmm. Um, which can help kind of get over the connotation of the word need. Right. But but yeah, so for example, one thing in my life that I really struggled with was when the need for support. Like it wasn't really okay. I learned it wasn't really okay, you know, to make requests for help or or to get support from the people in my life. I needed to be, you know, figuring this out on my own. And that was my my kind of family right. message. And so it's been a the seven year process of first, I just recognized that I even had that need at all. Like, whoa, whoa, it's okay. It's okay for me to need support. You mean like that's a legitimate thing? And so then it was a bit of a stretch for me to begin making requests to people like, Hey, right. would you be willing to help me out with this? Like just a feeling of shame that I shouldn't need support or nobody would ever want to help me, you know, just beliefs that get ingrained in us. So, I am happy to report that I have since right. made, uh, you know, a lot of progress with that. But, um, yeah, so that kind of speaks to what you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. And I certainly had to do a bit of practicing. I probably still do practice actually asking for things or, or people asking people to do things for me when yeah. it occurs to me. And I notice the surprise at how pleased happy or willing or let's say how effortlessly compliant most people will often be (laughs) who know you when you say oh could you do such and such for me and you know they just right jump right to it and things and it's like wow this is like having a magic power I can actually magic (laughs) help out of nowhere I would have had to do it all myself before because I guess that's where we learned another thing that I find quite prevalent is People can so-called ask you to do something, and this is especially when you're a child or around family, and if you are not compliant to their request, they might immediately go into uh, anger or rage that you haven't, uh, that you won't be compliant, like mm-hmm. almost as, or, or maybe emotionally manipulative, the kind of 
it's like a no is not allowed um, because you're, you're meant to just be available. And that is another thing that I think can shape us quite profoundly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing that pops up for me hearing what you expressed is I suspect that these people's so-called requests were actually demands. And um, in nonviolent communication, we make a distinction between requests and demands. So requests in nonviolent communication is something that is the last step in this four-step process of first observations, then feelings, then needs, then come requests. So So once we've made clear observations about what's going on and free from our story, free from our interpretation, free from our beliefs about how things are, how they should be or how they shouldn't be, free from judgment. Then we notice what feelings arise in us and as a result of that observation, connect those feelings to the needs that are stimulating those feelings. Mm. And then once we're grounded in our needs and we know what those needs are, that's when we're ready to make a request. And there's different components of uh, requests and nonviolent communication, but the key component here that's relevant to what you said is the willingness to hear no. So oftentimes we don't know if it's really a request until we hear no and then we have a reaction. (laughs) And and we recognize that, oh, actually this is a demand. We're thinking that someone should do what we're asking them to do. Yes, people have an expectation that other people will do and then they might get uh, angry or they might become in some way emotionally manipulative if they find that that person will not meet their expectations you know and it's in a way it it's driven by a frustration that life does not easily conform to what we want it to be okay well now i need to actually enter a negotiation with someone and try and ask them to do something for me uh and i might not have any skills in that regard you know Mm -hmm. People want other people to behave in a deterministic way. You know, if I throw the tennis ball at this speed, it's going to go this distance. You know, it's all governed by physics. People aren't like that. They're complicated. And when we want what we, we, we've got all various desires and things that we want out of life. And when we don't have the skills to get the people around us to cooperate with us in meeting those needs or rather those strategies for for trying to meet our needs it can be frustrating and some people just can't deal with with that frustration uh and uh, they're probably not self-aware aware to the fact that that's what's driving their emotional reaction but um they can become well it, it can seem quite tyrannical in, in, in a way of but from their perspective they might feel fully justified and um having those expectations because you know damn it it's not much to you well or or the all sorts of justifications i've done so much for you you know you're Mm. you're in this relationship to me therefore because you're in that relationship to me that expectation's on you although i do fear i derailed you because you were going somewhere where you were saying on the path to um the difference between making a genuine request and uh-huh. making a demand. So, yeah, please continue. Yeah, I mean, just kind of uh, weaving those two th- thoughts together, what you're really speaking to is 
being in the realm of judgment, of thinking that someone should do something or they shouldn't be doing something. And that's that's what nonviolent communication helps us to see through. So if we're in the place of judgment and we have expectations about how someone should be, what they should be doing, how they shouldn't be, what they shouldn't be doing, we're still in the place of judgment and we're not ready to make a request. So that would be... Um, you know, translating those judgments, which is, again, coming back to this fundamental principle of everything we do, we do to meet a need, including making demands, including making judgments, all of those things. So if we can get to the needs, the feelings and needs that are underneath the judgments of, for example, a partner thinking, um, my boyfriend should always be there for me. And and another word we want to watch out for is this always, never kind Mm. of... (laughs) thing that's just something to pay attention to um yeah you're asking for trouble if you say you always or you never in a relationship yeah. because all that's going to yeah. happen is the other person's going to name one time where they didn't uh, conform to your always <laughs> or never and, the, and the, the whole conversation gets derailed into a fruitless debate yeah yeah so it's really about just trying to find those needs underneath that expectation of thinking someone should or shouldn't be doing something. And so maybe in this case between partners, it could be a need for presence and connection. And so once we get out of the thinking, this person should be this way, and I'm going to demand that they're, <laughs> that they're like this, I'm realizing I'm feeling sad or lonely and I would love to experience more connection and presence with you would you be willing to spend the next 20 minutes um, gazing into my eyes and holding hands (laughs) for you anything especially if you ask like that (laughs) yeah but it's very okay so pay attention to the the difference between that request and something like would you be willing to always love me is that even possible? Like, and what does that look like? And how specifically um, could someone meet your need for love instead of saying, could you always do this? This is what's humanly impossible. Mm. So other elements of requests that are really important is one that it's specific. So would you be willing to do this for 20 minutes right now with me and describing what exactly we'll be doing and mentioning the needs that would be fulfilled in that strategy? And then that it's actually doable. So can I actually sit down and hold your hands and look into your eyes and and practice this quality of presence and being together? Yes. Can I say that? Can I actually say that I will always love you from this moment into infinity? No, probably not, because I'm I'm not always having these warm, fuzzy feelings of love towards the person that I'm romantically involved with necessarily, right? There's sometimes there's fluctuations in the connection. I might have judgments of the yeah, person. Yeah, I mean, like, especially if they leave the dishes in the sink. I mean, what the hell? Seriously. <laughs> it's always, it always comes down to the dishes. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. It drives me crazy when you leave your boots in the middle of the hall. Someone's going to trip over them. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not speaking to you personally. I, I know, but <laughs> everyone's got uh, things that their uh, significant other does that just drive them crazy, like beyond all reason. Something as simple as p- leaving the bloody light bulb on, and I, you know, you know that it doesn't cost much on the electricity bill and so forth. Mm-hmm. But there's just something about whatever it is that just gets your goat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those pet peeves that really inspire mm. these 
these judgments, right? These judgment thoughts towards the other person. Oh, I can't believe you're so (laughs) selfish. Uh, All they're thinking about is this. They never remember to do it. And I've asked them so many times. And, you know, when What a lazy slob. Yeah, yeah. It's like, (laughs) well, it's obviously, you know, obviously I'm just not that important to them because they don't remember to do X, Y, or Z. And it goes... And, and, and so it goes and so it goes. And I think a good way to, because you said you were talking about specific requests and the way that I like to explain it to people, because as you probably know, I've done quite a lot on communication myself, mm-hmm. is if it's something that you could catch on a video camera, that's a mm. good request to make. Because if you say something to someone like, I would like you to be considerate, <laughs> that's very vague. But if you say... I'd really like it if you move your papers out of the living room before I get back home from work. Then that's something that could be caught in a video camera. You know, it's an actionable request. And mm-hmm. you get you get so much further with that then. Because as soon as you throw one of those hand grenades into a conversation, especially with a loved one, oh, you're so selfish, you're so inconsiderate. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've thrown in one of those words the conversation is likely to go down the line of a debating whether it's true. I'm not inconsiderate. I've done this for you, that for you or that for you or um, getting it turned around on you. And no, you're the one who's inconsiderate. I just came home. And the first thing that you do is pull me up on this. No hug, no hello, you know? So, so, Mm -hmm. and then, and then you end up debating your judgments of one another and trying to find evidence for those judgments and Mm -hmm. rather than getting involved in a conversation, which is like, well, you know, how do I feel? How do you feel? What do you need? What do I need? Can we even, do we even bloody well know what we need, Mm -hmm. you know? And then maybe we can, maybe we can get to the point where we can say, Personally, I often think it's better to figure out what to do, you know, after the conflict, uh, uh, you know, the next day or, or mm. so to to try and discuss if there's something that you can do when, when the emotions aren't running high. Mm-hmm. Um, because that frees you up to think clearly and, and you often can't mm-hmm. do that when the emotions run high. But people need to be mature enough to to have that conversation when they're not emotional i mean i'm so when you're emotional when you're angry or upset or annoyed at someone the desire to like burst and just speak your mind is very overwhelming because you have maybe that need to be seen or heard or held Mm. emotionally to to that need for empathy if Mm. you can be mature enough to give yourself that empathy and wait till you're not fuming uh, and you've and even do a bit of journaling about it or get your thoughts clear so that when you present you can even say the same judgments in a way you can say well at that time I was thinking this and Mm. this I'm not saying that's true but that was my thought process but if you can say it nice and softly and calmly the chances of the other person hearing you without getting their own hackles up in emotion triggered uh, increased by a pretty long way it still might not be pleasant to hear sometimes but at least you're not basically pouring your negative emotions into them hoping that they'll be able to do something with those for you which you know sometimes they might be but it's at the expense 
of something, um, I find it's at the expense of the goodwill in the relationship. Mm. Yeah. So you're really speaking about a couple of different things here. There's one, the, the typical conversation that you might find in a relationship during conflict is who's right and who's wrong. Right. And, and <laughs> so we could well, have a conversation. Well, me, I'm right, obviously, but yeah, but for, for the benefit of people at home who are sometimes not always in the right, please go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just for them. Um, so really, we could have a conversation about what a stupid jerk you are, or <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> we could. It have might a be con- true, but I don't need you to say it on the podcast. I mean, there might be like hundred. <laughs> Hundreds of, the, uh, hundreds of people listening, they don't need to know. Oh, wow. It's all about the truth, you know. Who's right and who's wrong, and it's you. So so getting out of that, away from, we, we really want to change the channel to a different conversation. Away from what a stupid jerk you are, to this is how I feel. This is what I need. These are the stories I'm telling myself. This is what's coming up for me when I observe this. And... Um, and that's a, that's a different thing, you know. It's again mm-hmm. translating those judgments out of the right wrong thinking, shifting paradigms into the universal <laughs> realm of where we can connect. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so the other piece is making clear observations. You mentioned the camera, right? Like if you can make a request around um, and in a language that would be kind of what a video camera. Uh, would see. And this is bringing bringing back the first piece of the four-step process of NVC, which is making observations. And that, again, is separating our story or interpretation of what's happening, which would be, this guy's a stupid jerk, he's inconsiderate, he never does what he should, to the observation, which might be, well, when I came home, I noticed that Anthony's socks were in the hallway, and I felt annoyed. Because I really value order and support. And so maybe there's a request there that I can make from that place as opposed to the place of judgment. And it's just going to be two different experiences there. Right. And and the energy behind how you communicate uh, uh, has transformed as well. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, Anthony, it, it's really important to me that the house is tidy when I come home. And... Uh, I know whatever you could extend some empathy and if you if you know what they're like it's like you know I, I know when when you're trying to work on all your things that you sometimes forget because you're trying to concentrate really hard but if you could just make sure that the hallway's clear of any clothes or anything like that before I go home um before I get home that would like that would be that would be really great and that's a lot different from saying oh, you know, I can't believe you've done it again. I've told you so many times, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're that, this, you're that. All you think about is your damn work and you, what, what, whatever, it, whatever it happens to be. And the opportunity to problem solve and try and say, like, what can we do about this? Or um, Sometimes it's not necessary. Sometimes being really heard is good enough. But in some circumstances, like, I think people just don't know how to, like, solve a problem. So mm. I would hear my parents having arguments of the sa- over the same things over and over again for, like, decades. And it's like, you need, sometimes you need to sit down and say, right, okay, I've got a problem here. 
and bring the other person in and and you know can you think of any ways to do this like oh you know you 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 sometimes leave the cooker on instead of saying God, oh, I can't believe you left the cooker on again. How many times have I got to tell you? Well, if telling them the other 12 times didn't work, probably doing it another 12 times isn't going to work. So you could uh, just arbitrary example say, look, I'm going to put this timer on beside the cooker and it would be really great if just, you know, whenever you you cook, hit it and the alarm will go off in an hour's time and uh, when it goes off, you know, you can check to see if you've put the cooker on or... I don't know that some people might find that patronizing. It's just an arbitrary <laughs> example. You you yeah. you can bring it. The thing is, you can bring it to the other person and say, "I have a problem because, say, you always, uh, sorry, often I've noticed. Don't ever say always <laughs> yeah. uh, that you've left the cooker on. Can you think of any anything that you know? Give the other person the opportunity to think of some suggestions and by putting your heads together and that because um solutions that are unilaterally imposed do not tend to stick as well as ones that are arrived at by consensus mm-hmm. yeah so a couple things are coming up there's there's this whole idea of what i call slowing down and that kind of speaks back to what you were mentioning before about having the maturity in the heat of the moment to kind of step out of judgment. So um, a big part of that is when we get upset, you know, when you notice this intense sense of constriction in your body, maybe your heart rate is beating, your palms get a little sweaty and your your teeth are, your jaws clenched, um, you know, and you feel angry. That's the moment um, with my NVC practice that I I start to notice those physical sensations where I I want to remind myself the value of slowing down and maybe even stepping out of the conversation, taking a break, and coming back later after the physiology has kind of run its course, right, and I'm no longer in this amygdala hijack state, I can can come back to myself and my self-connection through the process of either self-empathy or getting support from someone else to get empathy, to find out what my feelings and needs are, get out of those judgments and then proceed to have the conversation in a, in a slower, more conscious way. Now to tie back to what you were just saying about making um, a request or finding strategies that work um, in relationship. There's another um, piece to this, which is, you know, not moving into the strategies or the requests too quickly. So in this leaving the cooker on scenario, I might, I might after having, connected to my own feelings and needs and having a clear observational perspective on the cooker situation, come to my partner and say, hey, I notice, you know, the past five nights, the cooker's been left on. And I feel concerned about that. And I'm just curious, what's up? What's coming up for you around this, hearing that, and really being prepared to offer them some empathy and facilitate their um, connection to their feelings and to their needs before moving to the request. And that's really, um, that's a, that's a really important piece. If we move to the requests or the strategies before both parties or all parties are grounded in their needs, we're likely going to have little elements of judgment, should, shouldn't thinking there and attachment to specific strategies that make it more difficult to get to kind of that win-win place. So, um, yeah, really, empathy would be the prerequisite to getting to um, 
to the strategy. And in the realm of strategy, like, what do we do? How do we solve this problem? That's where a lot of conflict arises. So this is really where NVC can be very helpful in getting everyone first grounded in their needs before proceeding into the request or the strategy. So in that conversation, giving my partner some empathy, they might, I, I might discover that, wow, they're really overwhelmed and stressed because of something that's going on for work, which is impacting their presence. Um, so they're maybe not noticing that the cooker is left on and maybe they could use some support in this. And what could that support look like for them? Maybe I could make a suggestion about the timer. And if that brings up something else for them, be prepared to offer empathy for that, like if it, if they did experience it as patronizing. And this is another thought that I had, um, patterns that we get into. So say I've been with someone for 10 years and we've had the same conversation again and again about you always or you never fill in the blank. And then I learn NVC and I want to come to this conversation in a new way. And so I try that out, but my partner hasn't necessarily, you know, learned NVC or figured that out yet. And even though I'm saying things in a new way from my feelings and needs, making clear observations, making clear specific doable requests grounded in my needs, they might even still hear the old story or the, mm. the old way that I say it. And so how do you deal with that? And so it's really breaking out of these old patterns and being prepared for what comes up for someone else who might not yet be on the journey. So it could be saying, well, you know, I know we've had this conversation a lot of times. It's been a, a sticking point for us. And I've discovered this um, this communication skill set. And I want to try something else out. Are you willing to explore that with me? So really getting um, kind of meta about the conversation and trying to have a conversation in a new place um, can be helpful. But if that's not something that you want to do and you just want to try this NBC stuff out in a subtle way and they still hear the old you, even though you're saying these new things, um, that would be where you really want to be prepared to offer them empathy for the pain that's coming up about, you know, this pattern that's been playing out where they haven't maybe been heard or seen or really empathized with. So that's something to watch out for. Right. So what you're saying is even if you change your communication style, it can still be heard as demands because people yes. are used to perceiving you in a certain way and they're coming out yes. of their baggage. Uh, or, or it could be nothing to do with you. It could be that they've been harshly mm. criticized by other people. And so yeah. even when you make a good gesture of speaking to them reasonably, they get triggered up from past experiences and find it hard to take. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So, um, and, and it could, and, and so that's the thing. Anything that's happening for that other person, I want to remember is being, it's all coming from whatever their needs are and whatever their feelings are. So it's nothing to do with me. So I can come up, come to them with my NVC perspective and my NVC request, and then they still hear the old me. And then I could, you know, get quote unquote triggered in that moment, and then we can <laughs> fall back into the old pattern. Or I can remember that, oh, they, there's some needs happening for them. And then just be curious and have an intention to connect to the feelings and needs. And that's going to, again, change that channel from the right, wrong, or you always, or you never, or even the diagnosing, um, you know, you're a, you're a just obsessive compulsive and you, you have to have everything your way all the time. Um, 
and getting it into... Have you had some kind of recording device in my house, or...? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, been yeah. watching you for a while, <laughs> So, So, yeah, it's really... Well, again, just connecting to those feelings and connecting to those needs and getting out of the story and, and also recognizing um, that beliefs really color a lot of our experience. So we might have gotten beliefs because we were criticized by our parents mm. so often that that just really colors how we receive any sort of feedback because we have beliefs inside of us that, you know, we're deeply inadequate in some, some level, you know, and it's not necessarily conscious thing. So, um, understanding that is just helpful to have some perspective in what's going on here when people seem to react from a place that doesn't make sense and to what, to what we're actually saying specifically. So, yeah. Right. So can you tell me some ways that you feel your awareness of all these things opened you up to life in new ways and helped you and made you enjoy more? Oh, yeah. Um, so, so many things. Like, I could I could just give you a little anecdote from my day yesterday, even. So, for example, um, I went grocery shopping. I have three children, so that's a lot of groceries <laughs> for anybody who's got that's kids, a lot you know. Of feelings and needs to account for. <laughs> exactly. So I went grocery shopping, filled up my cart, I went through the whole checkout process, you know, and then I went to pay and I opened up my bag and I realized I don't have my wallet. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have any money in my bag. And so five, ten years ago, Katie would have been, the old Katie would have, you know, immediately felt ashamed, embarrassed. There would have been a part of me criticizing me saying, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't bring your wallet. How stupid can you be that you didn't do that? And look at all this line of people behind you. They're probably in a hurry and they want to get out of here and they're all looking at you and judging you and what a POS you are. So Mm -hmm. that really this critical inner narrative was there. And Yesterday, when this happened, I, I looked and I said, oh, I don't have my wallet. And I just checked out all these groceries and I actually felt amused by this. Oh, and wow. so I went up to the to the cashier and I said, you know, I realized that I didn't I didn't bring my wallet. It's not in my bag. Would you be willing to set these groceries aside? I'll go grab my wallet and come back a little bit later. And she said, sure, no problem. And I didn't have this experience of shame or embarrassment or self-criticism, frustration, you know, annoyance, anger, none of that came up for me. And I, and I would say this is really coming from years of practicing self-empathy. And I just, I've shifted, my brain is no longer in the habitual patterns of self-criticism, of self-judgment, or even judgment towards others. Um, I'm not saying that I don't ever do that. Mm. I can't, ever claim that and I think that's something that will be a part of my life for a long time or probably indefinitely and actually our judgments have some value they tell us what we're feeling and needing Mm. if we know how to look underneath them so it's not about getting rid of that I want to be clear but just these little frustrations day to day I just my experience is totally different and then I was a peaceful parent and an attachment parent prior to learning nonviolent communication but since um, I've I've learned that framework has also empowered me just to 
to parent the way that's in alignment with my values much more effectively. And um, so different moments where I might have been thinking, I should be able to get my kids to do something, even the idea of getting my kids to do something, right, um, isn't really in alignment with my values of consent and mutuality and respect. And um, nonviolent communication has empowered me to be able to recognize my feelings and needs in a situation and then the feelings and needs of my children and to relate at that level. And without even teaching my kids this framework, they are kind of integrating that in their own way. So they have this practice of, of empathy that's um, more habitual and ingrained as opposed to the old stories that I got from my culture, which I'm not saying that they haven't also received this right, wrong, should, right. shouldn't good evil perspective but it's uh they at least also have this tool so right so you've modeled a certain kind of awareness and also some communication skills which they've internalized through observing you mm-hmm. that's wonderful yeah what a gift and, uh, yeah it's, um, it's a huge celebration actually if i pause to really think about that it's pretty amazing but um another thing would be you know in having a difficult or potentially uncomfortable conversation with someone, um, this is different now. I've I've been able to, uh, for example, talking about uh, controversial uh, political ideas. That's something that uh, comes up from time to time for me. Um, and in the past, I I might have been afraid that if I express authentically my opinion here, um, this other person is going to react and they'll judge me and we'll be disconnected and I won't have harmony and I won't have friendship anymore. So maybe it's better if I don't say those things because I don't want to rock the boat. Um, and today, I now have the skills to deal with what happens when the boat gets rocked. Right. So if I'm if I'm saying something controversial. I can still I can still express authentically my opinions, my beliefs, even my judgments, but grounded in my needs and be prepared to empathize with whatever happens for the other person in hearing this potentially hard to hear message. And that's really shifted uh, a lot of things and just the quality of authenticity um, for me and then the quality of connection that I experience with friends and even strangers and, and exploring ideas and stuff. So that's really cool. It's a, um, I just like experience more freedom. And that's the other piece, just in general, the awareness of my feelings and the awareness of my needs gives me choice. Now I can choose what to do about that. And before I think I experienced my life more of having a lot less choices, what I should do or what I shouldn't do, you know, what's the right thing to do or what's the wrong thing to do. It's very binary and maybe leave with only this or that for a choice. And when I'm, when I'm at the needs level, then I can see there's, there's thousands of ways for me potentially to meet this one need and there's a sense of abundance and liberation in that experience that it doesn't have to be one way or the other way but that it could be many different ways and uh, it's about tuning into the needs to discover what way is going to work really um, across the board so that's what I call kind of empathic liberation wow what a vision so that's um (laughs) Yeah, really, really quite something. One thing is you've become less reactive to life circumstances. And another thing is 
having these communication skills have given you the confidence to re make, say, take bigger risks because you know mm. socially that if things happen, you'll you'll have the tools to deal with them. You know, yeah. I, I think in nonviolent communication, when I discovered it and practiced it for some time, or at least the principles underlying it, what I found was I had to plan out a conversation a lot less. Stop, stop thinking so much. Well, if he says this, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'll say this. Uh -huh. and if he says this, I'll, I'll say this. Which 90% of the time was a complete waste of time because they, <laughs> they never said any of the things that you predicted they might say when yeah. you finally confronted them. So it was all planning for nothing. I felt like nonviolent communication helped me feel like I had the skills in the moment to deal mm. with other people. So I didn't need to plan conversations so much because I could always introspect. And also, if people reacted in certain ways, I had some empathy skills to help talk them down from the reaction. More recently, I've kind of gone back to, circled back to a form of conversation planning, I guess, when I feel like it's a big one. And mm -hmm. the way that I, not that I predict what the other person is going to say, but I say I might write down, say, my judgments and what I'm thinking about the situation, and then... Uh, I feel like that helps me ground myself emotionally and then I'll maybe look at what I'm what I've written down and take another piece of paper and just write down some bullet points and make sure mm -hmm. I've remembered the main topics that I want to cover in the conversation before I say confront someone uh, and, I, and that helps me do it non-emotionally but it also means that I don't go away from that conversation going damn it I should have said that I forgot uh, and, and now, mm -hmm. now I'm going to need to bring it up again but also by bringing that preparation, you know, there's an expression that goes, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. I found that by doing that preparation, I can still be completely open to them responding to any of those points without having to prepare myself for their reactions. You know, I'm open to their reactions in the moment. And the, the, the whole point of the, say, bullet points is just to have an open unpredictable honest authentic conversation on that point you know mm. yeah I think what you're really speaking to or what I'm hearing on some level is just as uh, is the practice of being present you know and presence is from my understanding in an MVC context it's an element of practicing empathy is really being present in this moment right now to what's alive and that's different than being in our stories about how it always has been in the past and all these things that this person has done before and or how I've always been or whatever the story is about the past or being in the the imagination about how this conversation is going to go and what this guy's going to say and what I'm going to say to that and then what will they say and then what will I say to that right. or you know what might happen or what might not happen it's really about coming back to this present moment right here, right now, and into, you know, our feeling experience, which arises in our sensations in the body, and connecting that to the needs, and then having this curious, present attunement and intention to connect to the feelings and needs of the other party, or other parties. So, uh, yeah, and that also speaks to kind of that slowing down that I mentioned before and getting kind of out of the 
the Maserati mind, if you will, that wants to go a million miles an hour. So Yeah, and half the time in conflicts, people want to be out of the conflict as quickly as possible. So what they try mm. and do is rush the conflict, and yeah. that, that leads to poor outcomes. If you've got um outcome-positive attitude, like I, I started writing a book a few years ago. I'm uh, meaning to get back to it at some point, probably next year. And I just called it Use Conflict to Create Harmony. Mm. And I thought that was a good title because it summed up the approach of, like, have a positive attitude towards conflicts because they are part of life and they happen all the time. And if you're not bringing the additional baggage of, you know, why do I even have to bloody assert myself so much to say, like, actually, we can talk this out and hopefully each of us can get more of what we want by the end of it and we don't have to rush through it because the experience itself has an intrinsic value of a Mm. deepening of the moment. Yeah. Last time we spoke, we talked about um, being outcome dependent or... uh, So I'd love you to to tell us a, a little about that outcome. Sure, yeah. So very often in conflict or just in general in life, we have ideas about what we want to happen. And and that could speak to this whole preparing for the conversation and figuring out what I'm going to say and what am I going to say and how to get to the outcome that we want. And nonviolent communication shifts us out of being outcome-oriented and into being present feelings and needs oriented. And so, and and for me, the outcome could be what, what do I really want from this interaction is that I'm, in the end, we're connected at the feelings and needs level. And that isn't connected to some specific strategy or some specific way of what that looks like. And if I'm giving somebody empathy with the thought of this person to change or to be different or to do something different... I'm not actually giving them empathy. I'm more tuned into what I want and what I think that they sh- should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. So, again, it's tuning into the present feelings and needs and and having the intention to connect to that, which is, you know, the, the empathic piece. Great. Sometimes there's a lot of difficulty kind of circling back to something when people have different expectations um, and one that comes to mind because I think it faces a lot of couples or flatmates or anything like that is when one has, say, high standards of need for cleanliness and tidiness, whereas mm-hmm. someone else has not got those. And it's a bit like, it's, it's sometimes it seems like a bit of an impasse because one person requires the other to meet standards that the other isn't, not just as in interested in meeting but isn't actually capable of because they don't actually see the mess you know that way they, they're, they're not fra- framing the data that's coming in their senses to the same <laughs> level whereas they're like you know well do you know what quite frankly if there's crumbs under the bread basket it doesn't really bother me I, I'm totally okay with there being crumbs under the bread basket so mm. if it's something that you want they're not to be any of. And I, I think, you know, of my parents in the, in the kitchen, my mum has an idea that my dad should clean while he's cooking so that by the end of him cooking, he's, uh, he's there's no mess. Whereas he's mm-hmm. like, no, I cook, 
I ha- and I clean up later. I might even clean up after dinner because because uh, when he's cooking, he wants to focus on cooking. And um, mm. so, so some, but but my mum could come into the kitchen halfway through that process and see things out and get in a rage about it. For example, I, I, so I, I just mentioned this mm-hmm. example because you know I've seen it going on in their house since I was a small child, and it's still going on to this day. Um, yeah. And nothing's changed in that respect, just the same argument over and over again. And I don't think, say, my dad had the self-reflection or awareness to be able to say something like, well, do you know what? For me, cooking's an experience. And when I'm cooking, I just can... One-track-minded, I'm thinking about the cooking. You know, that's what's... what That's what immerses my concentration. So not only do I not... I can't think of cleaning as I go along but I don't want to either because it's taken me out of of the experience and it no longer becomes enjoyable and also my mind doesn't operate that way you know I don't think he'd ever articulate himself that way if he was able to it might be the first step it might be helpful but so mm-hmm. I think it's a good example because there's lots of examples that people can analogize that to from watching their own parents or or their own relationships yeah and then and so many of these conflicts i mean we could argue about the laundry or the dishes or not cleaning up after cooking or Mm. how you park the car or whether or not the toilet seat is up or down but the conflict itself isn't actually even about those things each person in the relationship has feelings and needs there. Like, for example, your father maybe has needs for presence and fun and uh, ease, you know, or who knows? You know, he could have a whole myriad of needs going on. And the same with your mother. She might have other needs like for order, for support, for shared reality. Um, and so if they could have that conversation from that place instead of the conversation about, you never clean up the kitchen or you are nagging me all the time, you know, um, maybe they could experience some shifts. But again, when you have like a multi-decade <laughs> marriage, uh, those things can be pretty difficult to shift out of. But once people get into the needs um, level, the conversation can change. Yeah, for sure. So that's one of the things that people find the most difficult about nonviolent communication, which is being able to link their feelings to their needs. So before mm. we wrap up, I'm wondering if you can take us through that process. Sure. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. <laughs> All right. So I'm driving and then somebody veers in front of me and I, get, I feel scared and then angry. Because I think this person shouldn't be doing that, and that was dangerous, and and um, very likely my mind is going to go into this quick place of judgment, where what a what a jerk! How could he do that? He should be driving more carefully. Okay, and that's in the judgment. So I want to get to a place of observation where I can look at just exactly what happened, like this video camera concept, right? So. I saw this red Toyota Camry merge left in front of me in a way that I felt uncomfortable. That's a little bit more um, close to what could actually happen. And then when I saw it happen, I felt afraid. And then I felt angry. Um, And then, okay, so what are my needs around that? Well, 
maybe consideration, um, respect. I can also think of safety, right? When we're driving, that's a, usually a, a pretty intense need. And then once I'm connected to like, oh, I really just wanted safety or wanted co- consideration, I really value those things. It's not that this person is a jerk. It's that this person is reminding me about my needs. So it's a little bit of a, a shift in framing. And once I'm there, I'm more likely uh, to get out of this sense of anger or wanting to honk and land the horn at them, you know, and, and really just understanding that they reminded me about how much I value my life. I really love to be mm. safe. And it's a, it's a different quality of experience, uh, you know, than thinking that people should or shouldn't be doing things and then being in that angry, energetic place where you're disempowered because other people are making you feel this and you can't actually control what other people are doing. So um, when you connect it to your needs, you can say, oh, well, I have a choice about whether or not I drive or maybe I can drive in a, at a different time of day or a different place. I don't know. There's different ways that you, maybe this example isn't the best example. But, um, you know, there might be requests that you can make of yourself to fulfill your need for a different way. So translating and connecting our feelings to our needs and so noticing feelings is the first part right tuning into our body and our physical experience um, and and learning to connect that to feeling language and a lot of times in our culture we use feeling words that aren't actually feeling words like oh I feel abandoned or I feel Mm. rejected or I feel ignored or I feel abused or attacked or belittled And there's a pattern in all of those words that I just said, and there's a whole list of these words, by the way. There are actually feelings combined with a judgment or an interpretation of what someone else is doing to us. So if I feel ignored, if someone says that to you, like, Anthony, I feel so ignored when I I noticed that you didn't call me yesterday. I'm imagining for you, you're going to hear a little bit of a judgment or an accusation and it maybe even some defensiveness comes up like I'm not ignoring you you know like right. I had this other thing going on so if I can notice those words translate them into to the real feeling and separate it from the judgment like Anthony didn't call me back I felt lonely because mm. I really needed connection that's different right so first just getting out of the interpretations to the feelings is the first step and noticing the feelings as they arise in the body. And then connecting that to the needs. So if I feel lonely, what am I needing? It could be connection, like I mentioned. Um, it could be play. It could be to be seen, to be heard, shared reality. There's so many needs that could be underlying that. Um, and there's I have a feelings and needs inventory or a list of these things on my website if anybody wants to check that out. Um it's mdnvc.org in the resources section. You can find that. But there's also, you know, there's a number of different lists on the internet if you just Google that. And the first step is really becoming fluent in these words. Because of our culture, like I mentioned, we speak about feelings when they're not actually feelings. And also very often we might say, I feel like you're a jerk, right? But mm. that's, not, that's not actually a feeling either. So really becoming more conscious about how we use language. Um is, I've discovered, a pathway to a different consciousness. And that's really what this is all about. It's not about the words that you say, but it's about the consciousness, the intention, the quality of presence and connection that's underlying all of it, that's really about empathy and compassion. So that's 
that's the heart of it. So a lot of people, when they first encounter NVC, they're like, oh, now I have to follow these rules of how I relate to people. Like, okay, first this step, then that step, then that step. And then there's jargon, you know, like needs and, and requests and stuff that's kind of unfamiliar culturally. But it's ultimately, that's just a map to get you there. It's not the the map is not territory as they say. And once you mm. practice on this map, it can become a more naturalized ingrained experience that doesn't mm. seem so awkward or strange. So I want and and you might even if you're interested in starting to practice this, kind of preparing people for your weirdness and right. let, letting the people that you're close to um, know that you're going to be maybe sounding a little bit different, but your mm. intention behind that is to connect and to have, um, you know, higher quality relationship. And I found that if I preface my kind of baby NVC skills with that intention mm. and I articulate it explicitly, people are more open and willing to try that out and see what happens. So I want to just, uh, you know, offer that to people that uh, getting meta about the conversation, having a conversation about the conversation is really, really helpful. Yeah, that's a, that's and that's something that we can always do. I, I always think of it as giving people context for a conversation because so that it doesn't come out of nowhere, you know, being able to say, I want to have a conversation about this. But the way that you're saying it is to actually preface for people, give people context for a change in the way that you communicate in general. You know, I'm learning, mm -hmm. I'm learning this thing, and and the the purpose of it is to you know have a more harmonious relationship with you by being able, and you can talk talk about what you're learning so that you don't necessarily sound suspicious or something like that when you're saying you start coming up with things like. Are you feeling uncomfortable because you're needing uh, so, so, such and such? And someone was like, "What? Who the hell speaks like that?" You know? Yeah. Who are you? What who did are you do you? with Anthony? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Well, that is certainly a lot to go on to start with. If people want to learn more. Um, you can look me up on Facebook if you want to connect there or send me an email through my website, but Katie Testa at MD, like doctor, or Metro Detroit actually is what it stands for, mdnvc.org. Katie Testa at mdnvc.org. Excellent. Thank you so yes. much for joining me on the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. I look forward to speaking again. Yeah, this is fun, Anthony. Thanks. Thank you. Now, if you want to get in touch with Katie, you know where to find her, mdnvc.org. And you may or may not know that there's a bunch of free resources on improving your communication skills and your relationships on my YouTube channel. If you found this podcast useful, please don't keep it to yourself. I'm investing quite a lot of time in these right now, and I could really use your help getting them to people that would find them useful. If you want to support me and my work, the best way to do that is to support you in your work and go to my website, beyourselfandloveit.com, click on the course tab and buy my personal development course. It will change your life or your money back. It's guaranteed. So all of the risk is on me. Go to my website and do yourself a favor. You can put it in as your Christmas present. Buy yourself 
the personal development course which I spent 8 months developing to save you 10 or 15 years of your life in personal development. That's BeYourselfAndLoveIt.com underneath the course tab. Until next week, be yourself. Well, don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it.